You are listening to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast, a show covering the hometown Milwaukee Brewers as we analyze the roster, report on the latest rumors, and discuss their quest to bring the World Series trophy to Milwaukee for the first time. Here are your hosts, Peter and David Go. Hello, Brewer fans. This is Peter Go, host of the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Excited to get into one today here. It's been a little bit of time before we covered the Brewers and the tremendous success really that they've had to start the offseason. So certainly excited to cover this. David, how are you today? I'm doing well. I feel like usually my answer is reflecting the Brewers and how they've been doing lately. And they've been rolling against some bad teams, but the schedule is a schedule. Uh, the Brewers just have to take care of business and they have been doing just that. Uh, and a lot of encouraging things that we can talk about, too, on this episode. So definitely excited to, uh, to cover, um, cover some, uh, some of the more interesting things about the Brewers so far this year now that we have a little bit more of a meaningful sample size. Like you said, rolling uh, against the bad teams, but nonetheless rolling and off to a hot start already atop the National League Central. I think last we reported they were right nearing the top uh, of that division with the Cardinals. Cardinals actually playing well, two to start the year. I'm only two and a half games behind here as we're recording uh, the podcast here Saturday night as the Brewers are currently finishing up late uh, in the game on Saturday. But Cardinals not too far behind the Brewers, but Brewers couldn't be off to much of a better start. Like you said, some poor teams that they've played. Um, but last week, overall, had a good week. Lost the final game in the Cubs series on Sunday, but swept the Reds and then um, won the first game of the series against the Braves. Like I said, currently recording this, Brewers are losing near the end of game two of that series. But again, a lot of exciting things, encouraging signs from a lot of Brewers hitters and even pitchers. I know that was something that we talked about, um, whether it was too early to be concerned about the pitching staff, which certainly I think they've answered that question for us. But before I get too far into uh, things going on in the Brewers, what is today's trivia question, David? Today's trivia question is, who is the slowest brewer? This goes by StatCast Sprint Speed. So the question, who is the slowest brewer in terms of running speed? And really, I mean, I think you can kind of narrow it down to a couple. Not really not really a wide range, of course. Not going to be Lorenzo Cain, Christian Yelich, many of the regulars. But we'll see if Peter does have the answer at the end of today's episode. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah, I think I can narrow it down to probably down to two guys. So we'll uh, we'll see if I can if I can pull that off here. But again, before we jump into some of the encouraging things that we've seen from the Brewers, a couple of transactions to mention here. Andrew McCutcheon uh, put on the COVID-19 list. Uh, Brewers activating uh, or calling up, I should say, Mike Brasso to replace McCutcheon. Uh, Luis Urias also activated. Got a chance to see him at American Family Field actually on his first uh, season opener. Uh, he's already looking great in the box, batting some leadoff for the Brewers, playing good defense over a third. Really good to have him back. I know a lot of high hopes for him this year. Um, so certainly Brewers fans happy to see him. And what seems like at full health as well, the Brewers decided to option Keston Hira down to AAA um, with the corresponding move for Luis Urias. Hira uh, did have a pair of home runs, I believe, um, in this early season, but strikeout percentage was near 50%. Um, so certainly still some things to work on. Batting average, low 200s. Did have to kind of chuckle. His uh, BAPIP is 400. But I guess that's what happens when you strike out half the time and you barrel up, I guess. The, I guess it's either a barrel or a swing and a miss, it seems like. So uh, certainly still some things to figure out for, for Keston. No need to, to spend more time than that. 
But like I said, Kesson here being optioned down um, as the corresponding move with the Brewers bringing up their everyday third baseman in Luis Urias. A couple of other transactions. Uh, I know, David, you were happy about this one. Luis Perdomo recalled from AAA. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on Perdomo and, and why are you excited about him being called up? He's an interesting arm. The Brewers signed him to a two-year minor league deal before the 2021 season. Got a very good sinker. That's really the, the way that he's able to get outs. We saw him in spring training a little bit, and he didn't have a lot of strikeouts, but was very efficient with his, his pitch count, and he was getting a lot of ground ball outs with that sinker. Also throws a slider and change up, and he started actually in the past for the Padres. 61 starts across the last six seasons on over 400 innings. So he's got some experience, perhaps in a shorter role, in a maybe two-plus inning relief role. This stuff could play up a little bit. I think it's definitely worth a look. Uh, they they designated Jose Urena for assignment to uh, clear a spot for Perdomo, and Urena was just not good. I, I know that there was a little bit of a – maybe a little bit of upside going into the year. I'm not someone who usually will – react very strongly at the beginning of a year, but Urania was really all over the place, walked a lot of guys. Even when he was throwing strikes, he wasn't really throwing very quality strikes and wasn't striking guys out. So moving on from Urania, I think is the right move and seeing a, an interesting arm in Perdomo, somebody who could be effective in the bullpen, someone that at least he's interesting. Uh, there are other guys they could have called up that that wouldn't have been very interesting. And I don't think Jose Urena at this point was very interesting. Perdomo could have something in him. And Luis Perdomo, not to be confused with Angel Perdomo. I had to kind of take a double take when I saw that uh, Perdomo was recalled. I was initially just assuming that was Angel Perdomo. So, of course, not to be confused with uh, the big left-hander the Brewers have had sort of in and out of the major league bullpen within the last couple of years. I, I don't believe he's currently on the roster. Is that correct? He's, he's currently in the minors? Yeah, he's in AAA. Right, right. So, yeah, again, Brewers selecting um, to bring up Luis Perdomo and departing with Jose Urena, a short stint uh, with the Brewers. And then also some news, David, with Jake Cousins. What do you have to share with that? He may have some structural damage in his elbow. We don't know for sure what the extent of this could be. He was placed on the injured list with a, a right elbow fusion, basically a buildup that, of a fluid that leads to inflammation. But they found out it actually could be more serious than what they had initially envisioned. He had been actually okay in the early part of the year. It felt like, I mean, watching him, it felt like he wasn't very good. But then you look at his numbers, and Cousins had struck out almost 15 batters per nine innings. His walk rate was quite high, but striking out the number of guys that he did, he was actually okay. But he could be on the shelf for a while. Uh, we'll see what the extent of his injury is, of course, hoping that it's not a long-term injury. Of course, the Brewers do have the means where they, they could replace him with the amount of pitching depth they do have, but still would like to have Cousins in that bullpen. I mean, think about how good he was last year for the Brewers. Big piece. Hopefully he is uh, able to avoid a long IL stint, but right now not the most optimistic looking at maybe his, his potential health situation. Yeah, certainly Brewers hoping to get him back uh, in that bullpen. I know they were hoping for him to be a pretty big piece of that of that bullpen so 
Uh, Brewers will have to make do. Uh, obviously, they've got other arms in the pen that uh, overall bullpen's off to a great start as well. Again, Brewers playing weaker competition, but Josh Hader, Devin Williams really getting back on track. I know that was a, a topic of note a couple of weeks back. Of course, Devin, Devin Williams, slow start, as well as the rest of the rotation. I, I almost don't feel like we need to even really talk about that um, because of how well Williams and the pitching staff in general has pitched. Um, not necessarily even worth a segment talking about, um, I guess, how early it was to be uh, really concerned about Williams and the rest of the staff. So Brewer's staff has looked good. Certainly helps when uh, you've got the best offense in all of baseball thus far. Brewer's number one in runs scored per game. I believe they entered today tied for first in major all of Major League Baseball in home runs as well. A big reason for that is Rowdy Telez. Rowdy Telez has, has been a huge bat in the middle of the order. Of course, Brewer's picking up last year from the Blue Jays. So David, as Brewer fans, we got to be wondering this. Is Rowdy Telez the next, uh, I guess, is he the next Prince Fielder or is he the next Casey McGee or who is Rowdy Telez and is he going to be uh, this big middle of the order bat that we've seen him be for the rest of the year? Well, it'd be nice to have some consistency at that first base position. We got a little bit of it with Eric Thames, but we really, besides him, haven't had much consistency at first base over the past decade, really since Prince Fielder left in free agency, which is quite a long time ago. But Rowdy's been uh, been excellent this year. We saw him in a, a smaller sample last year, and he was good in his time with the Brewers, uh, although not not great, nowhere close to the level that he has been this year. Uh, but he's really hitting kind of in, in all ways. He's hitting for contact. He's taking his walks, hitting for power, 282 average, 624 slugging also, among the highest in all of baseball. And he's been um, somebody that, I think he's had a lot of loud outs. At least that's what it feels like watching. Talk about the juice ball. Uh, that may be a topic of conversation for another day. Not quite right now. See if we know more about that. But you look at the stat cast numbers. Expected slugging 100th percentile. It's actually expected slugging is higher than his actual slugging by about 200 points. So you think he's hitting well right now. Statcast thinks that he actually based on his quality of contact, should be even better. His expected batting average, 319, which is, again, uh, quite a bit above his 282 mark so far on the year. His barrel percentage is 98th percentile, um, which is the amount of times that he squares up a ball at a good exit velocity and launch angle. Uh, and his hard hit rate, 86th percentile as well, in terms of hitting the ball hard. He's really producing in all ways on the offensive side of things. He's kind of the middle of the order bat that the Brewers have been missing the last couple of years, at least so far as we've seen Rowdy Telez. You look at the uh, the numbers that are just the, the, the surface level numbers, they're there, but the underlying numbers even paint maybe a more optimistic picture for Rowdy Telez. Yeah, it's hard to believe after you see uh, Telez put an eight RBI game together with Nearly two grand slams, one of them, of course, being off a position player. I was really hoping that that Paul would uh, sneak out of the park. Would that have been the first Brewer to hit two grand slams in the same game? Yeah. It would have. Uh, yeah, it would be. Yeah. Um, yeah. First first one at Miller Park since Josh Willingham. You remember that game? Vaguely. Vaguely, I do. Um, that was probably like 2008, 2009, something like that. Uh, you even look at, at uh, StatCast has the expected – number of home runs by park that for uh, for each player 
Uh, Rowdy has seven home runs this year, but there are a lot of stadiums where if he played all his games at that stadium, he'd have 10 or 11 home runs already on the year. Uh, Places like Anaheim, Seattle, Cincinnati, uh, Chicago. So that is also interesting that he's had a lot of outs that have been outs outs or doubles that have been near the wall. Uh, And he's uh, he's someone that has been like, I mean, he's the, 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 the underlying numbers are really there to back it up. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a little scary if you're, if you're, th- if you're facing Rowdy Tillas coming up, like you said, if you look at, um, and, and I know I'm more new to this than you are, David, I know you look at the analytics more than I do, but if you haven't checked out Baseball Savant, um, look up uh, your, your whatever player you want to look at, Rowdy Tillas, Willie Adames, whoever is your favorite player, type in their name and, and Baseball Savant, gives you those percentile rankings that David was talking about and, and much, much more. Uh, pretty cool. Pretty cool to have all this data at your fingertips as a Brewer fan. Feels like something that you'd only have uh, working in a front office, but I guess that's the the nice part of baseball being such a data analytic driven sport at this point. But like you said, the underlying numbers are there. Um, 80th percent, 84th percentile or better in average exit velocity, max exit velocity, hard hit percentage, X woba, X batting average, X slugging, barrel percentage. So really everything's clicking offensively for him. And like you said. Um, he hasn't even had the results that you would expect given how well he has hit, how hard he has hit the ball. Um, like you said, the sprinkling and some loud outs as well. So again, is is Rowdy Tellez going to be, you know, one of the best offensive first basemen in all of baseball? I'm not sure. But if we can have a dependable, you know, middle of the order, four or five hitter who's going to be uh, a guy who can, you know, hit maybe 25 to, to 30 home runs in a season, uh, knock in 90 to 100 RBIs, certainly would be a nice piece to have, again, amongst Willie Adames, Christian Yelich, Hunter Renfro, um, and the rest of that Brewers lineup. So uh, I, I do think that, you know, I think Rowdy is is the real deal, whether or not, you know, he's going to continue at the same pace, probably not, but I think he's the Brewers starting first baseman for the remainder of the year and, and certainly has earned that spot. What do you think, David, as far as the, you know, the tenure for Rowdy Tellez, do you see him being a long-term option at first? Like you mentioned, since Prince Fielder, the Brewers have more or less uh, had a lot of uh, fluidity at first and not really a lot of success outside of Mark Reynolds gracing first base or, or Lyle Overbay with the comeback uh, with the Brewers. Well, Chris Carter did lead the league in home runs one year, uh, but uh, hopefully Rowdy Tellez is able to sustain production a little bit better than Chris Carter and uh, limit the strikeouts a little bit better. I do think Rowdy does have a place in the Brewers' long-term plans. He did say before the year that, you know, he's had opportunities and came up with Toronto, and and he was okay. But then Vlad Guerrero moved over to first base, and that kind of spelled the end of his tenure over in Toronto. And he kind of said, you know, this is probably my last chance to get a starting opportunity here in Milwaukee, and I want to make the most of it. And so far, he definitely has. I think if he keeps producing, the Brewers aren't going to go out and bring in another first baseman. First base isn't one of those positions where you can really shuffle guys around other than DH, I guess. And Rowdy actually even has been above average in terms of outs above average for first baseman defensively. So he's held his own at the position, not somebody that's a liability defensively by any means. And especially with the way that Keston hasn't really produced over the last few years. He's somebody who was thought of as potentially the future first baseman, but now that might not be the case. And Rowdy Tillez, certainly, if you said, who would you rather have over the next three years 
Rowdy Telez or Keston Hira. I'd take Rowdy Telez without a doubt. The Brewers aren't really someone who's going to spend a lot of money on a first baseman free agency either. So I think just really trusting in Rowdy um, is somebody that you that you could do, and I think the Brewers will do. And as both a lefty and a righty, uh, or facing lefties or righties, doesn't have that much of a platoon split. We talked about that earlier, but even this year, 886 OPS against lefties, 985 OPS against righties. So while he is hitting right-handers a little bit better, he still is hitting lefties quite well. Not somebody that you need a platoon partner for. I think Rowdy is a is one of those players that you're not going to build around him, but you build with him. Uh, you surround maybe Willie Adames and Luis Urias and Christian Yelich with guys like Rowdy Telez, who will be good offensive players, good players who will be able to carry their load and contribute to a winning ball club. Yeah, no, I think it's uh, I think you summed that up very well um, in in Rowdy Telez's prospects as uh, the Brewers. I guess long-term option over at first base. I would certainly agree with you. I think Brewers fans would that. Uh, I think we've got better um, confidence in Talaz at this point than Keston Hira, given given the last couple of years of track record that we have. So, uh, I mean, Talaz has obviously been uh, the big bat in the lineup, but Willie Adames also off to a tremendous start to his year. I know we talked about potentially hampering expectations after the outstanding year that he put up in his inaugural season with the Brewers. But Adames has picked up right where he left off um, and, and has been uh, another big bat in the Brewers lineup. Already eight home runs on just this young 2022 season, only hitting 233, but an 857 OPS. The power certainly been there for Adames. I know the strikeouts are a little bit higher. They typically are uh, with Adames. But um, even looking at his hard hit percentage, um, X slugging, average exit velocity again, all up there um, as far as in the 80s and 90 percentile. So he's been hitting the ball hard. Anything that you'd add about Willie Adames or any other specific Brewers um, before we jump into kind of the offense just as a whole? I do like what I've seen out of Christian Yelich lately. We talk about Yelich a lot, and for good reason. I mean, he's got the most upside of any of their offensive players. But we saw early in the year he was hitting a lot of balls hard but into the ground. I think we've kind of started to see that transition. Maybe it's just luck. Maybe it is really something that was an adjustment that he made. But over the past two weeks, a little over two weeks, seems like he's he's been hitting the ball hard and in the air a lot, which is really, I would say, even more important than just hitting the ball hard because a hard ground ball is good. But the Brewers don't need Yelich to be somebody who hits 285 with a 390 slugging. They They – need a hitter that's going to slug around 500, even if the batting average is maybe a little bit lower. So I think seeing Yelich hit the ball in the air more has been very encouraging. Yeah, four home runs for Yelich, like you said. Hard hit percentage is at 99th percentile. So he's certainly hitting the ball hard, and he has been really all year. Uh, that was kind of what I had emphasized when we talked about that is, you know, he's hitting the ball hard. If he's hitting a lot of ground balls, that's all right. I, I think it – will potentially even out over time. And, and it seems like more of what we're seeing right now. And, and really, I, you know, the, the, the hits will fall, you know, the, the slugging will increase, you know, it's bound to happen. You keep hitting the ball in the 95th to 90th, 9th percentile, as far as hard hit percentage, exit velocity, barrel percentage, all of those things, you keep doing that and offense is certainly going to be there. So 
I know he hasn't had, uh, you know, the, he hasn't been MVP esque, uh, nor do we necessarily expect him to be, but happy to see that OPS up to 769 uh, at this point. And like you said, we're starting to see more power from him. I, I mean, Brewers offense could actually turn into a significant asset for the team if Telez starts hitting the ball and Adames and Yelich continue to have similar success to they're having right now. I really think the Brewers have an above off, excuse me, an above average offense when you factor in those three players in addition to Hunter Renfro, Luis Urias, and some of the depth guys like Lorenzo Cain, Colton Wong, and Tyrone Taylor even. So uh, really the Brewers offense starting to look a little bit scary. Uh, again, Brewers um, tied for first in home runs thus far as a team, I believe with the Mets, if I recall correctly. Um, and then Brewers number one in runs scored per game. And you think about a team with Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, Eric Lauer, who's been about as good as anyone um, in the rotation thus far, even Adrian Hauser and Aaron Ashby. Um, when you put you know those guys out on the mound with the best run support in all of baseball, Brewers are going to have a lot of success. That that sounds like a 90 win, 90 plus win team uh, to me as far as a, a, a good formula to have. So I guess even looking at beyond some of the individual players, like we mentioned, Rowdy Telez, Willie Adames, Christian Yelich, of course, even Urias has had good success in a limited amount of action so far. Is it safe to say that the offense is is for real or in a similar sense where we were worried about the pitching? Are we a little bit early in saying that the, the offense really is a true force at this point? I would say the offense is improved. I don't know if I'd say that the offense is truly a force. We, we've we seen, yeah, breakouts of a number of guys so far. It's always difficult to assess with the, the teams they've been playing. It, it's different when you're hitting – uh, when, you, when you're scoring a lot of runs off of River San Martin versus if you're scoring runs off of uh, Walker Bueller uh, or even even some of the other good pitchers within the division. But it has been good to see. I do think this is a better offense than we saw last year. I think a lot of the 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 uh, negative the negative commentary that the Brewers were receiving on their offense came partly because JBJ really had a negative impact on all their stats. So if you took JBJ out from their like their weighted runs created plus number last year, I think it went up by about five points, which is the difference between like a bad offensive team and a below average offensive team. And giving up bats to more competent offensive players, I think definitely helps that. They don't have any true stars with the offense, but I do think they have more pieces. I think Adames is going to repeat mostly what he did last year. I think Urias could even take a step forward. I think it's looking like we could have a Yelich bounce back year. Rowdy's taking a step forward. Uh, and so I think when you combine a lot of these pieces, the Brewers have at least an offense that is much better than last year. Yeah, absolutely. I think improved, we can be very confident to say that the Brewers offense has certainly improved. Um, and I'm certainly a lot more confident um, in the Brewers offense. And again, the Brewers pitching staff, by the way, Brewers have arguably the best pitching staff in all of baseball. They've got the best closer in baseball. Um, Josh Hader, I believe, has already racked up, I think it's 13 saves or somewhere in that ballpark, um, sitting him, I believe, at, at number one in all of baseball. I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up leading baseball in that category. Brewers also top three in all of baseball ball in uh, team pitching ERA, team pitching FIP, I believe Brewers tied for first in wins, which I know is is your favorite metric there. But a, a lot of good things coming from the pitching staff. No need to to dive into uh, the specifics of it. But 
when you combine the Brewers, again, offense that's been above average with a pitching staff that has been one of the best, and I think it's likely that they will be one of the best this year. I guess the, the I guess what what do you what do you say this guy the the ceiling is the roof as Michael Jordan would say uh, as a throwback to who knows what 2018 or whenever that was. But uh, Brewers have a lot of potential when you combine those two things. Circling back to the trivia question for today, just a reminder: the question, "Who is the slowest Brewer?" by Satcast Sprint Speed. Who is your guest, Peter, for the slowest brewer? Yeah, Brewer's actually up there. I believe they're in the top five thus far in stolen bases, which is uh, not a stat that we see the Brewers um, in near the leaderboard. Uh, but I guess Brewers do have a little bit um, of extra offense. I saw the Brewers try to steal second with Hunter Renfro today. Uh, unfortunately, got thrown out, but that was interesting to see him. Colton Wong, Luis Urias, Willie Adames, of course, Christian Yelich, Lorenzo Cain, Tyrone Taylor. Definitely have some speed on the Brewers. None of those players would be my guess for the slowest sprint speed. Uh, I think it pretty much boils down to two players, two left-handed bats in Omar Narvaez and Rowdy Telez. Uh, I know we talked about Rowdy a lot today, so in some sense, I would guess Rowdy given the theme, but I'm going to go with Omar Narvaez. I think those catchers' knees are the difference between Omar Narvaez and Rowdy Telez. That is correct. Omar Narvaez is the slowest brewer. Um, it, it was tempting to, uh, I'm guessing for you, to guess Rowdy Telez. We saw him on, I think it was Tuesday, we were at the game, like a foul pop-up, and it seemed like a play that definitely could be made. And Rowdy was like 25 feet away from the ball when it landed still. Um, did not look the most uh, swift. No, it did, it did not. It led to the conversation of, the classic would I have made that catch if I was in uh, if I was a professional player, which uh, I I said yes at the time. I, I still will stand by it, but I I guess I I'll, it's easier said than done. But uh, like you said, Brewers didn't sign uh, Rowdy Telez for his defense or his speed or versatility, um, but neither neither Rowdy or Omar Narvaez exactly um, having a whole lot of speed for the Brewers. But David, you got a, a new one today. What's our tweet of the day today? Today's tweet of the day comes from a division rival, Mr. Joey Votto, who has uh, recently um, in, uh, entrenched himself in the social media world. He had TikTok for a little bit, had a few bizarre videos, and then I think he deleted that, but he's on Twitter now. And he had uh, this phenomenal tweet that came today. The tweet is as follows. The Giannis as the best player in the NBA debate baffles me. He's on year four of his reign. Defense matters. Joey Votto, of course, speaking to Milwaukee's other superstar, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and minority owner, who, by the way, will have his own bobblehead in a Brewers uniform on September 11th. Be sure to go check that one out. Uh, one of the better bobbleheads they've had in recent years. Uh, of course, the Bucks taking a 2-1 lead against the Boston Celtics. Uh, hopefully they're able to defend their title. I think they're, I mean, not to go too far on the Bucks, but I think they might be, at least to me, in my biased opinion, the uh, the title favorites. I think the Suns might be officially, but I would probably take the, the Bucks over the Suns if they played again each uh, played each other again in the finals. Yeah, I, they they beat them once. I would agree. The teams are you know there's been some changes to both teams, but the core players, of course, Chris Paul and Kevin, Kevin, Chris Paul and Devin Booker uh, being the two stars over in Phoenix and and the Bucks, of course, having uh, their big three, uh, hopefully at that point, Middleton would be back. So I think it'd be a pretty similar matchup. And I agree. I, I would take the Bucks in that series. The only reason 
um, that you maybe you don't pick the Bucs is the fact that they've got to get through Boston, who's a, a pretty tough opponent, as we've seen. Um, you know, we'll see, I guess. Not, not that uh, not that Phoenix is just going to have a cakewalk in the finals either, but um, th- that would be a fun matchup. Personally, I'm rooting for Bucks warriors just to see that matchup because, uh, you know, we haven't we didn't get to see that. Of course, Bucks were not very good in the time when the Warriors uh, were repeatedly going to the NBA Finals and winning the NBA Finals. Uh, would have been Steph Curry to the Bucks. We all know. Maybe not. Maybe you're not familiar with that trade that almost happened. Uh, Curry almost coming to Milwaukee. Who knows what would have happened for the Bucks franchise and all of the NBA really um, in that sense if that trade would have happened. But yeah, the Bucks again going up in the series two one. I was actually able to uh, get a chance to go see the Bucks win that one with Al Horford's put back being about two tenths of a second late um, in that one. So fun game again. Bucks up two one. We'll we'll definitely have. Uh, at Bucks House on here shortly uh, to discuss the Bucks playoff run in more detail and depth. But looking forward to the Brewers' uh, schedule for next week. And actually, even while we were recording this, Brewers did finish up their game today here on Saturday, losing three to two against the Braves. They were able to squeak off a run against Kenley Jansen in the ninth with an RBI single from Tyrone Taylor, but weren't able to um, tie that one up in the ninth. So Brewers falling in game two, they'll have the rubber match on Sunday. Um, in that one against the Braves. After the Braves series, Brewers are going to be playing probably their favorite opponents at this point. Seems like the Pittsburgh Pirates of late, the Cincinnati Reds, who are off to a, a horrendous start to the year, four wins uh, thus far into the season. So Brewers will have an opportunity to p- potentially sweep them. We'll see if they can do that again Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of this coming week. And then the Brewers have an off day Thursday and then a three-game series against the Miami Marlins. So Brewers continuing their easy streak of... Uh, opponents. Uh, they actually go back and play Atlanta after that as well. So kind of having some repeat competitors and again, uh, some weaker ones certainly, but Brewers hopefully can just continue to build up that lead. They, they really don't see a lot of difficult competition until end of May uh, where they will see the Padres a couple series against the Cardinals. Um, but overall, I would say the Brewers really through June have a, a, a pretty easy schedule. Um, it certainly helps when your division includes the Reds, the Pirates, and the Cubs. So we'll see what the Brewers can continue to do. Um, Again, Brewers currently in first place in the National League Central after today here Saturday. Brewers 19-9, and two games ahead of the St. Louis Cardinals, who themselves are off to a good start as well, 16-10. and Um, The Cardinals uh, have been hot as well, winning seven of their last 10. So, David, I know a lot of positivity for the Brewers offense, pitching, a lot of things going well. Um, Brewers, again, already at the top of the division. Any final thoughts here today uh, before we leave today? I'm hoping that maybe maybe this is a, like the one negative that the Brewers have had over the last couple weeks. Hoping Brent Suter is able to get back on track, has gotten off to a little bit of a rough start to start the year. He's someone that I, I think will, will turn around, but he's also one of those guys that it's not like some people's like, oh, well, their stuff is so good. I mean, he throws 87 miles an hour, so it's a little bit different. But um, but he has been effective over the past couple of years, and so I'm hoping that he's able to get back on track and become an effective reliever again. The Brewers don't need him to be lockdown reliever by any means, but somebody that can be depended on for some of the important middle relief innings. Yeah, he's been the longest tenured player, um, of course. Um, Brent Suter, which is a bit astounding at this point. But 
yeah, he's he's been good for a, a long time, both as a starter and obviously as he settled into that role in the bullpen. Um, so I, I am still confident he'll be able to turn that around and, and like I said, be that dependable left-handed arm out of the pen that he has been for the Brewers. Uh, but I guess on the other hand, if Arauti and, and the crew continue to put up about six runs a game, uh, we could have Masuder come in there and allow a run or two. So uh, Brewers offense doing their part. And again, the Brewers a run here. I, I think they've won eight of their last 10 now after uh, falling to the Braves tonight here on Saturday night. But Brewers off to a tremendous start. Again, already atop the National League Central. Brewers continuing to hope to uh, keep the streak that they've got and keep rolling against the Braves on Sunday. Reds and then the Miami Marlins will have you covered here. This is the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast for Peter and David Go. Signing off, Go Brewers. Thank you for listening to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. Please take a moment to rate and review our show on whichever platform you're listening on. If you enjoyed it, consider supporting us through the link down below. See you next time.